Well, today I'm continuing our series of sermons entitled, If You Love Me, based upon the words of Jesus in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, where Jesus told his disciples, and by extension therefore tells us, that if we really love him, we will keep his commands, we will obey his teaching. And so this series is our effort to look at exactly what those commands were. What did Jesus teach us? What are we to be obedient to if we love and choose to follow Jesus? Well, today we want to consider the theme, If you love me, trust the Holy Spirit. And to begin our talk today, I want to go back to the verse, uh, the chapter at least, that we began with, and that is John 14, verses 23 to 27. If you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles that are in the chair racks, this is, uh, begins on page 1570, or you may follow along on the screens. John 14, beginning with verse 23. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I give to you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. You know, it's an unfortunate fact that many of us Christians sometimes forget that we worship a triune God. That is a trinity, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We speak of the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity every time we recite the Nicene Creed, which we do on the third Sunday of each month. When we say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. But apart from the Creed, we tend to focus entirely and almost exclusively on the Father and on Jesus the Son, sometimes even confusing the two when we pray. But unless you are Pentecostal or charismatic or come from that background, you probably have given very little thought and had very little teaching about the Holy Spirit. But we need to recognize that Jesus emphasized the Holy Spirit a lot during his earthly ministry. Here in John 14, verse 26, Jesus tells us that the Father would send the Holy Spirit, referred to as the Advocate here, That he would come in the name of Jesus, he would teach us all we need to know, and that he would remind us of all Jesus had said. But the Holy Spirit is not, you might be surprised to hear, a New Testament invention. He did exist before he was sent by the Father, before the second chapter of Acts, when he showed up and poured himself out on the apostles, the Jesus' disciples and others. Some people believe that that's when the Holy Spirit was introduced. But in fact, the Holy Spirit has always existed. He is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. In fact, the Spirit appears first in our Bible in the second verse of the whole Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 2, we're told that before God created light, even then, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. From there, the Holy Spirit continues to appear throughout the Old Testament. In fact, 
The Old Testament pronouns that refer to God are always plural. In Genesis 1.26, still in the first chapter, God says, Let us make man in our image, which reflects the fact that God is three persons in one, that the Holy Spirit has always been present in the Godhead. And by the way, I'll throw this in, those of you who have taken our membership class have heard this, When we talk about humanity being made in the image of God, I believe we're talking about more than just that we, like God, are thinking, self-aware, creative, moral creatures. Although all of those are ways in which we're made in God's image. But I believe that every person is made in God's image in a much more specific way, which is like the Trinity. We have, each of us, a mind which is the controlling part of ourselves, like God the Father. We each have a physical body, which is like the incarnate Son of God, and each of us has a spirit, that part of us that responds to things that are not cognitive, that are not the the rational things, things like love and honor, loyalty, trust, beauty. So in this way, I believe that we very much are made in the image of God, the Trinity, having mind, a spirit, and a body, as in the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But while the Holy Spirit has always existed and He was present throughout the Old Testament as well as appearing in the New Testament, there is a difference in how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was sent to be with the people of God, the Jews, whenever they had a time of need to help them fulfill certain religious offices like priests and prophets. Our creed says the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. And then at other special need times or under special assignment from God the Father, God the Father would send the Holy Spirit, although they are equal, the Holy Spirit responds to the desires of God the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit would come to be with the people in times of need. But he was not within the people in the same way that he began to be in the second chapter of Acts. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the second chapter of Acts as they were gathered in Jerusalem... It was a permanent indwelling. The Holy Spirit didn't come to do a special thing and then depart again, as he had in the Old Testament, but rather he indwelt all of the believers in Jesus Christ with a permanent, constant filling. This occurred only after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is very particular in saying that I must leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come. On that day of Pentecost, as recorded in the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, came upon the followers of Jesus. He indwelt them. He entered into them, never to leave. No longer was it just special assignments that the Holy Spirit was sent for, only or only to priests and prophets, but rather the Holy Spirit came to live permanently in those who follow Jesus. As one Bible scholar has put it, this indwelling was God's abiding, positive covenant presence in the believers through the Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit is always with us to help and comfort, to teach and guide, and to draw us to Jesus. And that indwelling of the Spirit is so important, as I told you, I mentioned a second ago, that Jesus told his disciples that it would be better for them that Jesus was going to leave. Because only after he left would the Spirit be able to come and be with them and in them. Specifically, Jesus says in John 16, 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I, Jesus, am going away. 
Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus needed to leave in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And these are the things that the Holy Spirit does. That is his role, his job, if you will, as the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit first convicts us of our sins. That is, the Spirit tells us that on our own we are not okay. That by ourselves, without the grace and mercy of Jesus, without God in our lives, we are eternally lost and without direction. It is the Spirit that speaks that great and important truth to us. But then, most importantly, it is the Spirit who testifies to the solution to that need. When He testifies to Jesus, when the Holy Spirit speaks righteousness to our hearts and tells us that Jesus is real, that He is the very Son of God, and that He alone can redeem us and save us from our sins. Apart from the Holy Spirit, no one has ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That is because the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks to our hearts. And without Him, we cannot understand the things of God. It is called a kind of folly. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, a kind of folly, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is why you can never argue somebody into the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, while God is rational and he wants us to be rational, belief in Christ is not a rational thing. It is something the Holy Spirit must speak to us. And so the Holy Spirit calls us, he convicts us of our sin, he convinces us of the truth of Jesus, and he applies the grace that Jesus makes available to our lives. But along the way, the Holy Spirit also has responsibility to teach us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, and to pray for us and through us, even when we don't know how to pray. If you've ever found yourself in a situation where you felt like you couldn't pray or you didn't know how to pray, well, God spoke to Paul with an answer to that in Romans 8.26. He said, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When you can't find the words... The Holy Spirit can pray for you. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. He prays for us. In a very practical sense, one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit in being present with us is to give us spiritual gifts in order to serve the needs of our body, to fulfill God's will. When I say our body, I mean the body of Christ, the church. This is one of the Holy Spirit's most important roles, to give us the gifts that we need, the abilities that we need to do all that God desires in our midst. And yet, even though that's one of the Holy Spirit's most important roles, it's also one of the most misunderstood. Just this past week, I received an email from a woman. Uh, she and her husband are attenders here at our church in the wintertime, but in the summer, they're back up north, and she described to me that the church they attend they're really feeling some problems because they have a new assistant pastor and they have a number of new people in the church who are really pushing very hard in advocating the expression of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the more dramatic gifts that I'll get into in a second. 
She wrote and asked me what I thought, because they've been here, they've attended our church, they, uh, she, they attended some of the courses we teach in the Instituto, and she asked me about the gifts of the Spirit. What did I think? And I told her that the discussion on the gifts of the Holy Spirit has caused a lot of confusion and a lot of conflict even in churches. And I think it's because churches have a tendency to go to one, like so many other things, churches on the gifts of the Holy Spirit tend to go to one or the other of the two extremes. Some Christians and some churches emphasize the gifts of the Spirit to the neglect of other matters that truly are even more important than the gifting of the Holy Spirit. For instance, the grace that is given to us by Christ on the cross, the thing to which the Holy Spirit testifies. Other Christians and churches err in the other direction, in that they don't acknowledge at all that the Holy Spirit is active, that He does give gifts to support, teach, and encourage the church. Both of those extremes, focusing entirely on the Spirit to the exclusion of some other things, or not being willing to recognize that the Spirit is real and active in the church, either one of those can effectively stunt the spiritual growth of the church of Jesus Christ. We need to start by recognizing that the New Testament is clear that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real. That starts with the promise that Jesus makes in a number of places that the Holy Spirit will be given to us and will teach us and will comfort us. We then go to Paul's letters and then the letters in the book of Acts, of James, 1 Peter, and elsewhere throughout the whole New Testament. In particular... 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 are the primary passages that talk at length about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now some people, including one of my New Testament seminary professors, say that the miraculous gifts, or sometimes called the expressive gifts, like miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues, that those were only intended for the New Testament church, for building up and getting the church established, but that those gifts died with the apostles. But there's no indication of that in the New Testament. That simply is, is not something we find in Scripture. In fact, Paul goes to considerable length to teach new Christians in Corinth, in Rome, and in Ephesus about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're to be rightly used. So there is every reason to believe that the gifts of the Spirit were a universal experience of the church, and there's no indication that they did not continue after the deaths of the apostles. And this includes not only the gifts that we're comfortable with. I mean, let's face it, most of the things that are listed in Scripture as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we don't have a problem with. Some of them are what you might call the internal gifts. Gifts like wisdom, knowledge, faith, and discerning of spirits. Things that happen inside a person. We don't have a problem with those usually. We also don't have a problem with what we consider the normal Christian gifts that are given to leaders, like teaching and preaching, pastoring, administration, evangelism, leadership, hospitality, the gifts of mercy, that is compassion, or of helps. Um, All of those are also identified as gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we think those are great. We don't have any problem with those. But Paul is also clear that the more miraculous or expressive gifts are also real and are also given by the Holy Spirit as he sees fit. And those include prophecy, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, a few of you just checked out right there. I am not charismatic. I don't come from a charismatic Pentecostal background, but I read the Word of God. And as I study the New Testament, I have to be true to what it tells us. And 
Even though we don't often, in our Presbyterian or Protestant circles, we don't often see the manifestation of the more miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, I think the only reason for that, the only reason there's an absence of the expression of many, if not most, of these gifts, is because, let's face it, folks, we lack the faith or the expectation that the Holy Spirit is still active in the world, even in miraculous ways. That the Holy Spirit can, if we will believe, if we will look for the Holy Spirit to act in this way, the Holy Spirit can still do miraculous things in our lives. But the fact is, we only experience what we expect to experience.